number's there. Uh, just give her a call and uh, you can come. All right, so let's go to the Word of God in Colossians chapter 3. And um, we're going to look at just two verses this morning. Uh, it's verses 18 and 19, which says this, Colossians 3, 18 and 19. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. I use the New King James Version, by the way. So um, I think the ESV says something like, don't deal harshly with them. Is that right? Some of you have an ESV, that's, anyway, uh, those are our two verses. Uh, I'm going to build a sermon off of this one. Let me just throw a caveat out there right away. Uh, this is a, a massive subject, marriage, <laughs> and I, there's no way that in 45, 50, 55 minutes that I can address everything about marriage. It's also very complex because we have human beings involved who are sinners. And there's all kinds of dynamics that come with that. So I'm going to take these couple verses and in the next several weeks we're going to talk about, we're going to apply the theme of Colossians, which is what? Those of you who have been here, Amen, Valerie, gold star. The theme of Colossians is the glory of Jesus Christ, meaning his majesty, his superiority, his supremacy. I mean, there's the adjectives, just pile them on, right? That's Paul's point, and he has a reason for doing that. I'm not going to get into that this morning. But that's the basic theme. What he's doing now, as Paul often does in his writings, is he takes his theme and he applies it to life. And so we have the glory of Jesus Christ in the home, part one. Next week, it'll be the glory of Jesus Christ in the home, part two, in the relationship between verses 20 and 22, or 21, children and parents. So we'll have a little lesson on parenting. And then in verses 22 through chapter 4, verse 1, we have bondservants and masters, or to speak more broadly, the glory of Jesus Christ in the workplace. Okay? And obviously that is a highly sensitive subject because bondservants is a polite way of saying slaves. So this is America. We're struggling with that. So pray for God's grace to speak into that and stay true to the text and understand what the Word of God says. So, a um, couple of things as we begin. Uh, if you just look over at chapter 4, verse 16 here in Colossians, it says, Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So my point in just showing you that verse is to say that this is an open letter. In other words, when uh, Tychicus was the messenger that Paul sent from his prison cell in Rome all the way over to western Turkey, this guy Tychicus, he actually stopped in Ephesus, 
on the western coast of, Tur of Turkey, and he delivered a letter called the letter to the Ephesians. You can check that out in chapter 6. He's mentioned as the man who carried that scroll and deposited it there with the church. Then he left there, went about 100 miles. He comes to this valley part of uh, sort of central, south-central Turkey, where this church in Colossae is, and he hands the letter to the leadership, and they stand up in front of the church, and they read the letter. So kind of interesting, isn't it? So you didn't know what was coming the first time it was ever read. So you're a husband, you're a wife, you're an unmarried person, and all of a sudden Paul's like, wives, submit to your husbands. And right there the husband's going like, did you hear that? And then the husbands love your wives, and the wife's going, did you hear that? <laughs> and so I imagine there was some lively and good conversation after they left church that Sunday morning. Um, I want to just point out to you the structure uh, this is often called the, the glory of Christ in our domestic life, at home and at work, right? I just want to point out the structure that um, Paul addresses. He always starts with the one who is to be subject to the one who's the leader. Wives, submit. Children, obey. Bond servants, verse 22, obey. Then he addresses the masters. And going backwards, then he addresses the fathers. Then he addresses the husbands. Okay? So that's just kind of interesting to me, just observation of the text. Uh, that's what comes out. Uh, I'd like to say right up, the, right up front that uh, in these two verses that we're looking at today, marriage that uh, wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. In that verse alone, you see that there are mutual obligations. A wife has an obligation to the husband, and the husband has an obligation to the wife. And that's actually really profound in this ancient culture which was highly Grecianized, Hellenistic uh, influence, and also Roman, of course, is around AD 60, Rome and Empire, Augustus and so on, is, uh, well, he's passed, but uh, this, that's what it is. There's also a strong Jewish presence in this area. So I came across this from a commentator named William Barclay, just to sort of give you um, the impact that it might have had on the original listeners who are living in Colossae, in a Romanized, Grecianized world, with strong Jewish influence. Barclay says this, under Jewish law, a woman was a thing. God, that's awful. I mean, is this relevant or what? With the horrific things that have happened in Afghanistan and the concern of the Western world for the women and children as Sharia law comes in and is imposed upon them by the Taliban. How appropriate are these texts today? Really, speaking to the very time and thing that might be foremost in your mind and your concern and pray for the Taliban that they come to know the Lord. Pray God gives them visions and dreams of Jesus. They'll repent and come to faith. 
Anyway, under Jewish law, a woman was a thing. She was the possession of her husband just as much as his house or his flocks or his material goods. She had no legal right whatever. For instance, under Jewish law, a husband could divorce a wife for any cause, while a wife had no rights whatever to initiate divorce. In Greek society, a respectable woman lived a life of entire seclusion. She was never appeared on the streets to go shopping. <laughs> Barclay says to go marketing. <laughs> uh, so apparently, nothing new under the sun. Uh, women like to buy new shoes. Uh, is that a stereotype or what? Yeah, sorry. She lived in the women's apartments and did not join her menfolk even for meals. From her, there was demanded a complete servitude and chastity, but her husband could go out as much as he chose and could enter into as many relationships outside marriage as he liked and incur no stigma. Both under Jewish and under Greek laws and customs, all the privileges belonged to the husband and all the duties to the wife. The domestic, that's the end of the quote, but I just want to read a comment here by Kent Hughes. He said, the domestic rules given here in Colossians were vastly different from those of the day. Wives here were addressed equally with their husbands, something radically new. You have an obligation in the marriage, and so do you husbands. And so by the, Paul, virtually, virtually by Paul saying these words, breathe, Scott, by Paul virtually saying these words, he's declaring equality among the genders. You, hear, you see it, brothers and sisters? That's what was hitting the ears of these wives and these husbands. I suspect that the Holy Spirit of God had already done that work in them because he's the Spirit of God who is equal with God. He is God. He was there in the beginning when God invented marriage. And so I would imagine as he came in and just started influencing their thinking that they were starting maybe to even adopt and question the practices that they came out of and that were lived all around them. At any rate, here comes Paul with this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit. These are the words of God given through the Apostle Paul and these people heard it and they're like, oh, that is like cold water to my thirsty soul. So wives were addressed equally with their husbands, something radically new. Also, both husbands and wives had duties, not just the wives. So that's the background in which these words hit the ears of the believers in the church and how important it is that they influence our thinking today. Now, what I'm going to do is uh, spend a few minutes just sort of expositing the text Okay, um, which means to give understanding and teaching and application. And just these two verses, first to the wives, then to the husbands. And then in closing, I'm just going to ask uh, three questions. What if, and I'll provide a few what ifs, because they often come up. And again, it's it's vast subject. What if, what about, and where do I start? When I say, where do I start, that's just God's influence in my life saying, be aware, Scott, that there's maybe equal numbers in your church who are unmarried. So speak to them. There is actually nothing in the text addressing singles. 
But I think there is plenty in the text that addresses singles. And so I want to do that. So that's how we'll close uh, this message this morning. So Paul says in verse 18, uh, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Fit, the word fit or fitting means it's appropriate. It means it fits. Like doing a crossword or a jigsaw puzzle, right? And you finally find that piece that actually does connect with the other. So that's fitting. Let me help us understand that a little bit further by giving you an opposite. Paul actually used that word fit in his letter to the Ephesians. Back in chapter 5, verse 4, he said, let there be, hear this one, brothers and sisters. This is Paul, Ephesians 5, verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. It doesn't match who you are. You are a child of God. F-bombs should not be coming out of your mouth. Paul uses the word fit in a positive way here, and he's saying, as is fitting in the Lord. My brothers and sisters, this whole idea of wives submitting to a husband just got sanctified by Paul's words, as is fitting in the Lord. Because of the culture that they came out of and that they lived in, Paul just took those words which they could have given definition to prior to their salvation, but now he's saying, ah, but now it has a whole fresh meaning, as is fitting in the Lord. So what does as mean? <laughs> does that mean I submit myself when I feel like it? I submit myself only when he's worthy of being submitted to. Like he's actually walking in the spirit and being a cool guy and he's loving me. And that's when I submit. Are there conditions on this? Yes and no. We'll talk about that in the what if question. But it means... <laughs> as is fitting in the Lord, I think primarily what it means, brothers and sisters, is that this is a Christian marriage. And when I say Christian marriage, I don't mean that they went to a church that had a steeple on the roof and they took some vows in a building called a church. I have relatives who did that very same thing. It was a homosexual marriage. This means, no, 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 you are personally regenerated by the Spirit of God. You were deeply convicted of your own accountability, your separation from God. You heard the gospel that Jesus has bridged the gap, taken the wrath we deserved, rose to give me life and joy and hope. You believe that and the Spirit of God caused a new birth in you, woman, you, man, are born again. Maybe that happened after you were married. Maybe it happened before you were married and you were single. And we'll talk about that in the where do I start at the end of the message. 
But I think that's what Paul is saying here. It's appropriate because God created marriage. And after all, Jesus referred to himself, hello, bridegroom, I'm the bridegroom. You're my bride. And so just, and, and Paul wrote extensively, obviously, in Ephesians chapter 5, 22, to the end of the chapter, wives and husbands. He doesn't do that here. He kind of just jumps into it, which is worth saying this. Don't misunderstand. Everything that he's already said, especially, I'll just narrow it down a little bit, especially in verse 12 to 17. And especially in verse 12, where Paul says, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. That was a word of exhortation to everyone, young, old, married, single, gender, didn't matter. You're a believer, you're in the church. Put these, these are the characteristics of Jesus Christ. These are his characteristics. Paul's like, let those things manifest in your life. Let the real Jesus in you come out. Put on. It's a brief review from our sermon two weeks ago. I wasn't here last week. Andy was preaching. It was great. I watched him down from San Antonio. Put on. <laughs> so in other words, we don't take everything we've learned and then just say, oh, well, that was really cool. Now I've got a little instruction about what it means to be a Christian and what the characteristics and the things I should be seeing happen in my life, these, these qualities that are the qualities of Christ amongst others. It's like a really good message. But I don't just walk away from that and then go get home with my wife or with my parents or just go to work and forget about everything. That's not life. That's not Christianity. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. What goes on in the home is probably the most severe testing ground of your real faith as you'll find anywhere, whether it's in your home or your dorm room or at your work or in your classroom or in our personal relationships. And you can't get more personal than two becoming one. <laughs> Leave queeve and we... Queeve. <laughs> yeah, it's queeve. Sometimes you queeve. It's like, oh. No, I'm just kidding. All right? So... I'm just preparing ourselves for what we're reading here, all right? Especially verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then without, and then without taking a breath, Paul's like, now let me tell you about marriage. Whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now let's talk about marriage. Let's do that in the name of the Lord Jesus. As is fitting... In the Lord, because he's your savior and he's my savior. And he lives in you and he lives in me. And actually, and this is totally just a, an extra, actually, I heard a saying once that has always stuck with me. And this idea of wanting to be conformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ, you cannot know yourself 
or grow yourself by yourself. You can't do it. As a matter of fact, after God made Eve, she brought him, he brought her to the man, and for the first time, Adam could get some feedback on what he looked like. He could look at his arms and all, but he couldn't see his face and certainly not his backside. He's like, here I am, this creation image in God's image. He's like, hey, what's happening back there? Well, <laughs> right? You can't know yourself or grow yourself by yourself. So what happens in the marriage, in the home, in our workplaces, is it's, Jesus is all about it. So what are we doing here in church? We're hearing these words so that we're encouraged to go out and implement it in our lives because we need that because I forget. I get so caught up in all those other things that it's like, wait a minute. Uh, all right? So wives, submit or subject yourselves to your own husbands. That's what, he that's what the New King James says. It says, to your own husband. Doesn't that seem kind of odd? It's like, are you polygamous, Paul? No, no, no. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. To your own husband. I just have a quick word on that. It's so easy, ladies. Once you get into that marriage, Mr. Wonderful does not become Mr. Wonderful after a while. And then, if you don't deal with your feelings about him and in yourself, then it's awful easy to start comparing. And I see that you know, actually, this dude over here or these guys, they just seem to have a whole lot more charisma and intelligence and graciousness about them that I'm not seeing in my man. Guess what? He's your man. That is the man you married. That is the man you married. And you may not be as impressed as you were prior to saying, I do, but you'd be subjected to your own husbands. Accept it. Remember, God gave you the partner that fits and matches and is designed especially for you. When God is joined together, don't put that asunder. So subject yourselves to your own husbands. Subject or submit. Boy, that puts the hair up on the back of women's necks. Um, and we'll talk about that at the end in the what about question. <laughs> um, if you know Paul, and I trust that you do, and you've read maybe Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7 or 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 14, you know, brothers and sisters, that he anchors his statements on creation, on what happened in the garden prior to the fall. He anchors it on that. So I'm going to reference Genesis 2 and a little bit from Genesis 3. You don't have to turn there. I'll just do that work for you this morning. But let me just read to you Genesis 2:18. And the Lord God said about Adam before Eve was made, it is not good that the man should be alone, which is sort of troubling at first. You're like, wait a minute, how can that not be good? Adam is a sinless man. He has 
far as we know, complete and direct and full access to God without any sin hindering that, zero. He's like, life's awesome. How could it be that that is not good for Adam to live like this? And I think the answer to that is anchored in the fact that Adam was made in God's image. If you remember Genesis 1.26, God said, let us, us, let us, plural, make man in our, plural, image. In other words, God exists in three equal entities. Father, I hope I say this right, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All eternal, all co-equal, all living in mutual love and harmony among themselves. And that's the way God made man. That's why when God said, it's not good that man is alone. He's not experiencing a personal relationship with someone who is his equal. That's, I think, what exactly what it means. And so... Verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He immediately recognized this is like, this is other. You see, he'd been spending his days watching all the animals that God would bring past him and say, give him a name, Adam. So he would observe the characteristics and the proclivities and their nature. And he'd go, uh, dog. And apparently there was like a boy dog and a girl dog. And he's like, that's cool. Cat. Rat. Now we better kill that. <laughs> right? And eventually, you just get the sense that Adam's like, I ain't got no one like me. God's like, that's not good. Man is built for friendship. Man is made for community. And so he experienced that. Paul anchors his statements from creation. The design and the timing and the order or what he recognizes, that God made Adam first. And Adam established himself in his administration, if you will, in his naming of all the beautiful creatures that God brought around him. And then he brings this beautiful woman, and he's like, I know exactly what you are. I recognize you, woman, woman. That's what you are. And so he actually established his leadership in her life by the very words that he said. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, I have one more thing to say about creation. And here's a, just an open question, pop quiz, anybody answer. What was Adam made from? Anybody? Dust. Dust. What was Eve made from? Adam. Oh, very, very different. And somebody wisely point out, God didn't take a part of his head so that he could rule over her, nor did he take a part of his foot so that he could walk over her. 
He took something close to his heart, a rib. And that's what she was made from. And so I suggest to you, and I know this, believe me, I know this. <laughs> Been married 41 years. That woman, you ladies, you have a, there is such a thing as woman's intuition. You do have a sixth sense toward your man. You will see and understand him with keen insight. That's what you're made from. You're made from the stuff of inside of Adam, not from the dust. It's all by God's design. And so it's fitting. There's a harmony. There's an equal... It works. And it's so good. So let me speak to you from my personal experience on being on the receiving side of being submitted to. My beautiful wife, Joni. First of all, I'll just say this. Gentlemen, and I think you could say amen to this, but when your wife, and you're in the midst of maybe, let me just, hypothetical, you got a little situation going on in the home, right, seeing differently, and when your wife's like, you know what, you decide on this one, I'm trusting you. My goodness, if that doesn't put the fear of God in you, I don't know what will. But again, being on the receiving end of someone who has subjected herself, in other words, and please understand me, it just simply means that ladies, you're recognizing we are equal, but God has placed him as a role in leadership in this home. And you're simply, by your submitting and subjecting, you're recognizing that. And being on the receiving end of it, I can tell you it's a powerful encouragement to trust the Lord, to be the leader he's designed me to be. Because when you're in the midst of it, and, and, and my wife has come to me and she has verbalized and said, it's okay, I'm setting aside all the issues and the questions that I've had, and you've heard them, but I'm, I'm, I'm relinquishing that to you. You make the decision on this. You've heard me out. That's what good husbands do. You hear them out. Man, it's encouragement to trust God to be the leader because she's trusting God for me to be the leader. It's really encouraging. It's a powerful testimony of faith and love and obedience to Jesus. It's also a powerful testimony of faith and love and obedience to Jesus because I know me. I wouldn't submit to me. It's also a powerful influence in my life. Because of her original design, do you see my brothers and my sisters? I'm speaking, I guess, mostly to ladies at this point. I don't know. Because of the original design, because of the way God has made you, ladies, she's a powerful influence. She's using her influence under the control of the Spirit to have a positive effect on me. And in the context of marriage, is what we're looking at here, the two become one. You see, the wife will eventually come to know and become very familiar with, and I'm just speaking for myself, my deep-seated insecurity that makes me want to not initiate and lead. 
She knows that. And my weaknesses and all my fears. But when she comes alongside and she says, it's yours, I love you, and I'm trusting God in you. Man, that's influential. On the negative side, she also knows my damaging relationship, striving pride and self-sufficiency and all my lusts and my greed and my desire for carnal things. Powerful influence. So hopefully that's a positive word spoken about wives in the marriage as Paul has written it here to the church in Colossae. In verse 19, he then addresses the husbands. Again, mutual obligations, right? It's not all on one side. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Do not be bitter to them or do not deal harshly with them. Um, I'll just camp out on that for a minute for the sake of time. Why does Paul say that? Why does he say to the man, don't get irritated, frustrated, angry. <laughs> Cue the Proverbs passages, Oz. I just put those up there. There's an interesting verse. It's better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. <laughs> How about the next one, Oz? Continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife or alike. Stop! <laughs> right? Yeah, there's another one. Uh, do we have another one? I guess not. Why does Paul say... By the way, Solomon wrote that. He had 300 wives. <laughs> what a fool. He's the wisest man who ever lived until then. <laughs> right? You just... It's like, boom. And, and, and also, you know what? There's debate whether Paul was ever married himself. He certainly wasn't at the time that he wrote uh, Corinthians. Uh, but I do know this that for a couple of years, he lived with Aquila and Priscilla in their home in Corinth. So for two years, he like lived with this couple, and there's no reference of children with Aquila and Priscilla. They're mentioned six times in the New Testament. And just as a, an extra, right, the order of naming oftentimes indicates the one who's older or in leadership. Like whenever you see the list of the apostles, Peter's always first. And then you see James and John, because James was the older brother. It's always James and John. What about Aquila and Priscilla? Isn't it interesting? They're named six times, exactly half of the times, Priscilla's named first. Equal. Equal in their effect in ministry. Priscilla was named first. Equal. Paul lived with them. He saw marriage from the inside out. So why does Paul say this? Why does he say to the man, don't be embittered toward them? Because it demonstrates the realities and the difficulties of marriage. That's what it demonstrates. Obviously, the woman can become just as irritated and as exasperated and harsh and stern and all as a man. But guess what? The man is the leader she's subjecting to. Paul wants the man to initiate love. So when 
you're not speaking, then man, don't just settle into a slow burn. No, no, you initiate. You are the, the head. You're, the, you're, you're to love your wife like Christ loved the church. And he loved us when we were his enemies, when we were ungodly. He initiated, he humbled himself and he came. And so what he did in, in large, husbands, men, we are to do the same as best we can in the power of the Spirit. <clears throat> Which, you know, you know the story in Genesis. Uh, the, they rebelled against God. And it's interesting that you know, we have three recorded statements of Adam in the creation account. We already read the one. This is bone of my bone, flesh of my bone. This is Adam speaking about his wife. He's, he's telling her, saying out loud in front of her what he observes. Oh, how affirming. Oh, how beautiful. Oh, how inviting and welcoming that was to this woman. And then after the fall... <clears throat> excuse me, God meets Adam and Eve who are hiding and he says to Adam, why are you doing this? And Adam said, the woman you gave me. She gave me to eat. The woman you gave me. <laughs> like everybody's wrong except Adam. He's just like complaining. You know what? She heard that. And those words were painful for Eve to hear her husband say that of her. So God intervenes, reconciles them, and then the last time we hear from Adam is in Genesis 3, 20, it says, the man called his wife's name Eve. Did you ever know that? He actually never named her until after the fall. He talked about her. Then he talked against her. He evidently talked to her because she understood the command that God had given Adam and Eve not to eat of the trees. Now he talks for her. And in the midst of the breakdown in the relationship and all the horrible things that have happened, he says to her, you will be called Eve because she was the mother of all living. In other words, girl, I love you. We're moving on. We're going to have children. You are an amazing woman, and from your seed will come the great Redeemer, as Jesus promised us. So own his responsibility, but initiates in loving his wife. That's why Paul said this to the men. I'm convinced. All right, so in closing, <clears throat> just two verses. Again, I'm only touching on this a little bit, but let me just do a couple of what ifs. What if my spouse is not a believer? Well, that's an easy answer, actually, because Paul actually addresses that. And I encourage you to look at 1 Corinthians 7, verses 12 and 16. Here's a, a snapshot of sampling of those four verses, five verses. The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. 
okay? So I'm just gonna presume and I'm gonna say, well, okay, so you're both unbelieving, you get married, and then you, one of you hears the gospel and comes to faith, now what? Paul's like, praise the Lord. <laughs> the, the power of God is now in that home and it's sanctifying that home. That is the life of the Holy Spirit in that saved spouse is having a powerful influence in that home. <clears throat> what if, another question, my ethnic and cultural background have taught me to treat my spouse differently. Because this was Colossae, and Christianity is spread throughout the world. And in a lot of cultures, the culture that I described to you in the opening statement from Barclay is prominent today. Like, I've, you've all seen it, just even in our little diverse town of Ithaca. You see a, a, a couple walking down the sidewalk, and there's the man and there's the woman walking appropriately at a distance behind him, right? And that's cultural. So what if that's your background? The Word of God and the Kingdom of God trump your culture and your background. Jesus said it in John 17, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. In other words, let your Christian marriage be a shining, brilliant light of something radically different, which demonstrates Christ in the church, in the culture in which you live. We support Mana and Nesreen over in a foreign country right now, Middle Eastern country. They're, they're living among people who have very different backgrounds. In fact, as they visited here, Nesreen talked about some of the, the ladies that she's befriended. She said they are so lonely because their husbands, they don't get it. And what a powerful witness they represent and the church represents. Okay? What if, here's another question, what if my spouse is adulterous? Uh, that is attached to another emotionally or physically through social media. God forbid through pornography. What if? Well, first of all, you have a savior who can sympathize with you. He understands betrayal, okay? He understands betrayal. Run to the cross. Pour your heart out to Jesus who can sympathize. He understands what it means for someone to stab you in the back, to break the trust, to actually have the, the rude gall to kiss you in public. I'm speaking of Judas in the garden. Oh! What disgusting. And his heart was so far. What a, what a hypocrite. The biggest challenge Jesus had in his whole ministry, read the Gospels. He understands what it means to live with somebody who's hypocritical. So therefore, if your spouse is adulterous, don't rush to a divorce attorney. Cling to Jesus. 
Invite other spiritually mature believers into your life. Search the scriptures daily. I recommend Hosea chapters 1 and 3 to 3. What if my spouse is abusive? <laughs> I mean, these are massive questions. What if they're emotionally manipulative or physically abusive? Number one, talk. Do not keep it undercover. Talk to your family, talk to your church leaders. If necessary, talk to the law enforcement. Talk to a Christian counselor. If it's physical, after doing all that and, 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 and using your strong influence as a woman to confront your man and he's not receiving and yet it continues and separate. I'm not saying divorce, I'm saying separate. Get out of that situation and let some, some godly influence nurture one and work with the other to bring reconciliation. What if my spouse has not committed adultery or is abusive, but just simply abandoned the marriage through negligence or indulgence in other things, which we call idolatry? What if they, in practice, they're agnostic? Or worse, they, in practice, live atheistically, like there's no God, I'm going to do whatever I want. Pour out your soul to Jesus. <laughs> Read the Gospels. Let his life and spirit influence you. These are intensely difficult, challenging situations. And I feel like the counsel oftentimes can be the same. You need to talk to the Lord. You need to talk to trusted believers who can keep things uh, confidential, who can walk with you through these troubled areas. That's what if. All right, those are just a few what ifs. And when you start talking marriage, oftentimes those questions come up, so I thought I'd just throw them out there. What about, what about? Now here's a few other set of questions. Q, the Galatians 3.28 verse. Uh, is, what about this verse? Neither is there Jew, Greek, slave-free, male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. A lot of times that verse will get held up when they'll say, wait a minute, wives, subject yourselves to your husbands. What about this? This has nothing to do with marriage. This has to do with your marriage to Christ. This is saying, Paul is saying here in Galatians, that by virtue of your faith in Jesus, we all have equal standing and access to God through Jesus Christ. It does not affect the differences in genders that Paul talks about in marriage. It's not a valid argument. What about division of labor? Who does the breadwinning? In other words, who goes to work? Who does the child rearing? Who stays home? Who does the bookkeeping? Who manages money? By the way, it's often one of the major points of conflict in a marriage, the use and spending and saving or whatever of money. Another what about? What about women in leadership? Ooh. What about women in leadership in politics, in the marketplace? in the church, 
What's your answer to that, Pastor Scott? Simple. Come to our Think Together on November, September 11th. All right, it's in your little uh, informational sheet here, right? That's the whole point of the Think Together somewhere in my pulpit, All right? We're actually going to talk about that. That's the reason that we have that, because it's unrestricted. It's not being streamed. We can have honest conversation, and we'll talk about those very important things. What about women in leadership in the church? Should they preach or not preach? Can they be an elder? Can they be a deacon? What can they do according to the word of God? Should they lead worship? Should they teach Sunday school? Should they cover their head or not? A lot of questions. Okay, outside of the church, what about in, what about in the marketplace? What if I get hired? I, I leave Cornell and I get this awesome job down on Wall Street and my boss is a woman and I'm a man. She's like the CEO. Like, what am I going to do about that? And she comes to me and says, you need to. Shut up, woman. I don't advise that. <laughs> I'm a Christian man. I don't know if you are if you're making a comment like that. I'm just spicing it up for you a little bit. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, be, I'm glad Joni's not in here. I'd be in trouble right now. All right. So those are a couple of questions. What if? Difficult things, what ifs, what about, we'll talk about the what abouts in our think together right here, Saturday, September 11th. Now, lastly, singles, unmarried. Where do I start? Well, let me say this. How do I say this? Uh, let me ask you this. Is the one that you're interested in, living Galatians, Colossians 3, 5 through 17? How about start right here? In other words, are they putting off the lust of the flesh? Is the one, and I'm, and I'm speaking gender neutral here, ladies or men, is the one that you're interested in, are they putting off? Are they killing sin by taking up the cross daily, dying to themselves, and living for the glory of God personally now, in real life? You know what's interesting to me? Again, the original order Genesis 3.22, the Lord God had taken from man what the Lord God had taken from man. He made a woman, and what does it say? He brought her to the man. What's that mean? That means when he breathed life into Eve, whatever he did, she wakes up, my maker, my savior, my God, my creator. He loves me, and I love him. She has her own personal relationship before she gets married. And so did Adam. <laughs> so that ought to be happening in the one that you're interested in. Otherwise, what's your relationship based on? A personality test? Just this chemistry? <laughs> we just like jive in the same things. Uh, uh, we have similar hobbies? Impressive resume, resume, good looks. 
That's the purpose of dating, my brothers and sisters. That is the purpose of dating. To get beyond the emotional and the physical infatuation, <laughs> which so many times is unreal, <laughs> and, and really start to explore the spiritual maturity of that one that you're interested in. That's the purpose of dating. Basically, you want to know for yourself, is the other one that I'm interested in relying on Jesus as the source of their identity and influence and everything in life? Paul said it. Colossians 3.11b, Christ is all and in all. Colossians 3.4, in Christ who is our life. Somebody once said, what is love? It's two people looking out in the same direction, not at each other. And so dating is you going hard after Jesus and you're discovering as you're going along in your path that there's this other one who seems to be going hard after Jesus as well. And guess what? They happen to be really good looking, got a nice resume, there's some chemistry, there's all this other really cool stuff. <laughs> and so you pray and you ask God, each of you, individually, you got your own relationship. Lord, are you calling us together? And the Lord will answer. So in addressing the question, where do I start? Start right here. Start right here in Colossians. Is that, is that other? Are they living a genuine Christian life? Appears so on the outside. As Paul Tripp always says, Paul David Tripp always says, and I think he normally speaks to the man in this idea when he speaks about marriage. He goes, every man prior to marriage is a car salesman. <laughs> He's just telling you stuff that ain't true. <laughs> this thing is a beauty. He knows darn well it's a lemon. In other words, he's describing, he's putting on so that you will be excited about him. <laughs> so take some time. Purpose of dating. Another area that I'm just going to speak on this, just a couple of more things. Um, where do you start? Number two. Here's a verse. Hebrews 13, verse 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and, listen to this, and the marriage bed undefiled, but fornicators, that is, those who have sex outside of marriage, and adulterers, God will judge. In other words, brothers and sisters, as you find yourselves very interested in, an, in another don't have sex because God said not to. Paul goes back to the original Genesis account. He says the two will become one. He uses that verse two or three times in the New Testament talking about the effect of having a physical union with one. It's actually a marriage act. So if you're living for the Lord and this is fitting in the Lord, then keep yourselves and put boundaries in your lives so that you don't stumble into a failure. And I would say the man who ought to be loving, that is cherishing and living for the sake and the development of that one he's interested in, he ought to be demonstrating that right then and there. Ladies, so if he's grabbing you and saying, let's go to bed, I would say, get out of the house and put some real space between you and that guy. Because I'm not sure he's loving you. 
the way Jesus did, demonstrated for us. In fact, I know he isn't. So thirdly, I'm just going to be honest with you. <laughs> There's so many marriages in and out of the church that frankly, they just suck. I don't know how else to say it. They're not good. And if you come from that background, you may have an attitude that says, I am never going to expose myself to that kind of suffering and pain and heartbreak that I have observed in my home. And to you, I say, don't condemn yourself to a life of singleness. I'm saying, write a new story. You are filled by the Spirit of God. Write a new story. Live according to the Bible. Live according to the Bible. If this is what it says, then that's what we're going to do. When Joni and I became Christians, I've said this so many times, we had no Bible literacy, none, zero. If somebody had handed me a Bible day one of my born-again life, he said, hey, man, let's read Genesis. Open to Genesis. I'm like, is that in the Bible? Genesis, Genesis what? But when we became born again, all of a sudden, words that were confusing and made no sense, they were our nourishment. They were our life. It was water. We were just devouring it. And if it said it, we did it. Sometimes not always the best, but that's what we did. Because, and you know what? It bore fruit. It bore fruit in our lives and in our children's lives. There wasn't an argument. Well, I don't think it really says submit myself to that guy. What do you mean, love her? You know, she's just, she's just manipulating me. She's trying to get me to do what she wants done in this house. And by the way, I remember what it says in Genesis that the that part of the fall is that the woman's going to desire the leadership of the man. And so she's going to get all controlling. Back off. Really? What's your attitude? <laughs> is this too real? I don't know. This is just, this is marriage. I live in this. I love it. Write a new story. Oh, what a glorious testimony it is. What a glorious... It's something people can look up to. And when it's God and the Holy Spirit, you know what? It's faith, he's faithful, and it demonstrates just a witness that lives beyond you. It lives beyond you. My mom and dad went to heaven last year. Their marriage, it lives way beyond them. I think about them all the time. And, and how through they both went through severe physical pain and problems late in their life. Their last five, ten years together were not good physically. Required a lot of humiliating procedures and struggles. And they loved each other, I think, more deeply. What a testimony. It outlives you because he's alive. So that's a long-winded exposition of Colossians 3, 18 and 19. I don't know how that hits you this morning if you're married. I hope it's just refreshing, reviving and instructive and encouraging. And I hope it just generates some thankfulness. Oh, I thank you, Lord, that my spouse is following you, that we're, we're doing our best to live this out. You've already spoken to us. 
If you're single this morning, I hope that Colossians 3 <laughs> will speak to you. Ephesians 5. Remember, as you journey towards Jesus, let the Lord bring that other into your life. You observe that. And that's the word of the Lord. Let's stand and pray. <clears throat> Lord, it's been a joy to open your scriptures and to see the glory of Christ in the home. That you are so personal and so intimately involved in all that we do. In fact, this says there's not a hair of our head that falls to the ground or a sparrow or a hair. You got it all figured out. Lord, you are so much closer to us than we often are aware of. And I pray that our awareness and our trust in what you, who you are and what you've written for us would inspire faithfulness and trust. We pray in your name. Amen. God bless you.